Welcome to the other party, got that vibe Well, you know we getting lit and come alive And you know we got that light so we gon' shine And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the after party This has been an interesting week for me uh, Let's see, I'm gonna catch you guys up on everything that's been happening The big news in my own personal world is that I got some new shoes And I'm really excited about it because I'm not really, you know, like a sneaker head But for me, it's more functional, it's not like I'm out there trying to collect 20 different pairs. You know, for me, it's just, you know, can I get something that looks good, that's really comfortable? And I sort of have my eyes on the Adidas Ultra Boost, which I've never tried. I think I've talked about it. How long ago on the podcast did I talk about, hey, I'm looking at some Ultra Boost? Well, only right now that I finally pulled the trigger on some shoes because they haven't been a super huge priority for me. And I had every intention to get some Ultra Boost. But when I went to look, and this has happened to me several times, I've gone to actually purchase some Ultra Boost, and I couldn't find a color way that I liked. Like, I found some stuff that I liked, but it was always sold out, or they didn't have the right size, or it was coming soon. So I finally said, forget it. I'm not going to mess around with that anymore. I'm going to see what else there is, because I was ready to get some shoes. Like, I needed some shoes. And so I was just like, well, what's like the Nike equivalent? I'm going to go check that out. And so I ended up going to Nike's side, just popping into the What's New section, and I found what was some Phantom Flyknit 2s, I think is what they're called. And they were roughly the same price, and I found some that I liked a lot, I liked enough of. Um, I was looking for something, see for me, again, these are going to be like my actual shoes, not like collector edition shoes I'm just going to stash away and look at on the shelf. So I wanted something that would like fit with a bunch of different outfits and stuff and I could have gone with just black or something or just white but white gets so dirty and black uh it's just I've had gray or black shoes you know for the last several pairs so I was looking for something a little bit more colorful a little different and so this is what I ended up with it's the Nike Phantom Flyknit 2s and I think that's what they're called uh don't remember what's different for me is like they're laceless and so they're really super fast and simple to actually put on but I was kind of expecting next level comfort. They're very, very, very comfortable. I will say that. Um, but, you know, after reading all the Adidas Ultra Boost reviews and looking at some videos, you know, I don't know. I don't think these, I have in the back of my head the impression these aren't quite as comfortable maybe as the Ultra Boost. I'm not sure though, but I think it's probably very close. They're probably in the same ballpark or arena, but. I'm really liking these things. So if you're you're not watching and you're just listening, let me get these out again. Uh, They've got some red is what the actual official description said. They've got some gray, you know, it's like a, it's not black, it's gray, some blue and some white. And so I could wear a red YouTube shirt or a black shirt or a blue shirt or a white shirt and it's going to match and go with any or all of those. Uh, And so pretty excited about these just because it was about time. There's nothing like getting some new shoes. I love the smell too of the new shoes. I got these online, so obviously I didn't go into the shoe store, but I used to love going to the shoe store just for the smell. But these do have the smell and it smells good. What else is new this week? Um, I got the new iMac, uh, 27 inch iMac to review. It was pretty souped up. It costs north of uh, 4,000 I think is the review model that I got. And you know, I published that video yesterday, actually, I think. Worked really, really hard on it. I did a bunch of tests because the things that were new included, you know, the webcam, the mics. Uh, obviously, it has, like, an older design. But I put a lot of work into doing some tests to, to show visually the improvements. And 
this is the life of a YouTuber. You can put a ton of work into something and you don't know how it's going to be received or, you know, if anyone's really going to care. And when I debuted it, it was like nine out of 10 was its ranking out of the last 10 videos. And I was kind of depressed because, you know, I put so much time and effort. And then I went to bed and I woke up this morning and lo and behold, it was sitting at like, I think five. It improved to five, I think, overnight. And so really, you know, a video is going to pop when it gets into the top three then you know, okay, it's going to go on to get some good views, have a good life. Um, and so five, I don't know, it's, it's maybe working its way up, but I'm glad that it's not 10. So I'm a little bit less depressed this morning. But that was a, a fun video. That was a really capable machine. People are complaining about the design, and I did my fair bit, bit of complaining on the last podcast episode too. And even in this video, I said, you know, we have this new, uh, you know, updated iMac, but it's kind of in an familiar old design emphasis on old <laughs> and it's true and people don't like those bezels but at the end of the day it really is all about what you can do with it and this thing can do a lot so go check that video out if you haven't i would i would definitely recommend it it was fun the other thing that's new uh there's a couple things there's a lot that's new um google sent over the pixel 4a one thing i like about their program i believe that mark g the dude who's running their influencer relations he is a YouTube dude from back in the day, or I don't know if he still does or not. Uh, I don't know him personally or anything, but I like the way that they're running the program because they'll send you this thing and they have some guidelines. You know, if you talk about it, it's supposed to say gift by Google. So they did send this, it was a gift. Um, but at the same time, there's no expectations. And they said that straight up front. It's like, you can talk about this if you want to, or you don't, but they just shot it over. And I like that approach because it's the opposite approach that most people take a lot of businesses when they do something they they do it the you know the opposite in the wrong direction certain brands i can't mention any particularly well i probably could i'm just not going to they'll just want to have you say you know script every single thing that you could possibly say or do and that squeezes out any room for creativity or it's like they don't want any opinion and they just want to buy you as a mouthpiece kind of and in either of those cases it's not cool and we've had to deny you know i turned down some money this week because there's this one brand who wanted to do that wanted to script every little thing there was no trust involved or they they wanted to you know squeeze out all opinion and just i'm just not going to do that so i really do respect and like the way shout out to mark and you know team pixel the way that they're handling sending these out with basically no expectations but what they're gonna get is a better return that way. When you take everything off the table, they're like, here, just enjoy it. Then, as an influencer, I'm going to actually want to pick it up and enjoy it. They don't suck all the fun out of the room, in other words. And, you know, obviously they didn't pay me either. So, you know, uh, it's not like I'm obligated to go cover it. But I've been having fun though. And this is the thing. Uh, here I am sitting here talking about it. They are getting some coverage with this approach. But it's been fun to just have fun with it. That's what I'm saying. So I've been out taking some pictures. I've been looking at the videos. People always like to do the iPhone versus the Pixel comparison. And everyone freaks out when people pick up, you know, the Pixel photo over the iPhone photo because they like that oversharped, cooler look. That iPhone tends to run a little bit warmer and it doesn't have quite so much sharpness. Uh, you can obviously add some sharpness to your iPhone photos to make it look, and some coolness to make it look more like a Pixel photo. But yeah, I mean, for 350 bucks, I think that's the price of this Pixel 4a. It's really a surprisingly capable and fun phone. I really like the form factor. It's a smaller form factor. And you guys know my stance on that, so I don't need to go into it right now. I got the black version 
which also has the only color on this thing is the, I don't know, like a pea green, sea green uh, little power button. And yeah, I mean, the bezels are pretty small. It's got the hole punch uh, camera hole on the front. So there's no notch like I'm used to as an iPhone person. And I loaded up, you know, all the apps that I'm going to use the most. I got my email, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube stuff, which is YouTube and YouTube Studio, Notion. It's been weird uh, dipping into the Google News app instead of the Apple News app, both of which have lots of ads. I expected Google to. Apple, I wish didn't, but they still do. Uh, loaded up Badland Brawl, my favorite game at the moment. I spend plenty on in-app purchases. <laughs> my wife's like, did you seriously spend 50 more dollars on Badland Brawl uh, this week? But yes, I did. But I don't have a, this is what I told her. I don't have a PlayStation or an Xbox right now. I do actually have some old ones and I'm probably not going to get the new ones. I don't think. If you guys have been watching the channel for a long time, you know that we used to do a lot of PlayStation and Xbox content. They had some very popular videos before we kind of shifted into the all Apple direction. Well, Apple emphasized direction, let's say. It's not always all Apple. Honestly, for the price, it is really quite a phone. I'm going to be comparing it to the iPhone SE, which I also have sitting right here. Um, for you know a review, I got to send this thing back pretty soon. Uh, but these are two really good phones for the price, and I could see being very happy with the Pixel if I wasn't so you know uh, deep down the Apple rabbit hole. I guess uh, this is a super capable phone, no doubt about it. I don't know. There's other stuff. Some other boxes arrived. Oh, you know, I tested out the LG monitor. That was the secret monitor that's been sitting here on the desk. It's sitting right over here still. Uh, the new LG Ergo monitor that was a sponsorship. Um, that video's out. You can check it out. And I assume that's going to get more popular. You know, it's it's right at the beginning of the marketing push. So I don't think a ton of marketing dollars have been spent to promote that. But once people know it exists and they go looking for the reviews, boom, mine's going to be right there. And I guess it's less of a review and, you know, more of just a, like a demo. Like, hey, here's what you can do. Here's how it looks. And here's a little bit of here's what I think. Uh, the Logitech... Folio Touch, I think is what it's called, arrived. Got that sitting here too on the old 11-inch uh, iPad Pro. And I've been playing around with that. That is a fun, capable keyboard. That video should be coming out. I'll probably be doing just a review because I'm going to talk a little bit about this keyboard in particular versus the Magic Keyboard in this podcast. There's going to be a segment on that. But it's been busy, and I guess that's a good thing. But I meant to get four videos out this week, and I got two videos done because the iMac video turned out to be so time intensive. But that's what's new right now. Still in the middle of the move, I think probably about five weeks out from the move-in date. And it's just because things are under construction. Uh, and that's all I'm gonna say about it. I'm looking forward to my new studio space. All right, let's get into the news. If you're just catching the clip, this is a clip, a segment from the After Party Podcast, Daily Tax Podcast. But we're gonna dive in right now to the controversy swirling around the App Store right now, more specifically Fortnite, and the maker of Fortnite, Epic Games, uh, doing battle against Apple over App Store fees. Anybody out there still playing Fortnite? I, I mean, I have it, and I go through phases, Fortnite phases, where I play it for like a week, and then I uninstall it, either because I want the space on my iPad mini. The iPad mini, of all the iPads I have, that one I really like for gaming, but I didn't uh, max out the storage on that one. So anyways, if I need to clear out some storage, Fortnite has to go on that one. But then also it takes up a lot of time. And when I need to get stuff done, also Fortnite has to be removed. 
but it's very interesting. You know, you've probably been following, I, I want to talk about this from a consumer standpoint, actually. Let me preface by saying that because I don't really care which giant company is making lots more money, you know, or losing a little bit of money. That doesn't matter to me. But as a consumer, I kind of want to talk about what does this battle mean for me? So if you missed it, um, just yesterday, I don't know, recently, Fortnite, um, they issued an update through a shell, uh, which is something I'm, I guess I'm not going to get into, but it bypassed the review uh, system. And this is like a special thing that Apple does for certain developers where every little update doesn't have to be updated. But they took advantage of that, of their position to do that. And they updated Fortnite and in, included their own uh, in-game payment system to bypass Apple's 30% cut of all things all transactions that transpire within the game and within the app store at large, really, for the most part. And, uh, you know, Epic, uh, they are kind of choosing to do battle with Apple, I think, I believe, because they just want to make more money, but they're positioning their fight as a way, uh, you know, they're, they're telling it to their fans, to Fortnite players, like, this is better for you. We're doing this for you. But really, they're doing it for them. They want to make more money. And how can they do that? You know, at a certain point inside, you know, they said Fortnite's probably grown as much as we can grow it, you know, through the channels that we've been doing. How else can we make some extra money? Oh, Apple's taking a pretty big chunk. Maybe we should try to grab some of that. And maybe the time is right because Apple's been dealing with, you know, um, some strife, some discontent from other developers like, hey, the email app. We've talked about that on the podcast here before. And so they did. They They struck a blow. And it was... It wasn't just this one thing, uh, updating the payment system within the app. They had all this stuff ready to go. It was just like a full-on assault. So they they did their update, and then Apple banned them. And they were baiting Apple to ban them. It's obvious. They got banned by Google, too, by the way. And we can talk about that in a second. But then they had a press release with legal actions all rolled out and ready to go only against Apple, not against Google. And then the kicker was that they had redone one of uh, Apple's very iconic Super Bowl ads. I think it was from 84, right? About sticking it to the man and and the little guy winning against the big corporation, um, complete with Fortnite hammer throw and everything. And so all this stuff was ready to go, ready to launch. It's a very highly and well-coordinated attack, if you will, uh, by Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite, against Apple. And they're really, it's a battle for people's, I, well, I don't know, they're, tr they're just trying to rally the troops, meaning the Fortnite players and fans, and then also the, the developer community, because they feel like, I think, hey, we're like a $17 billion company. It's not like we're, you know, and that doesn't compare at all to Apple, but it's not like they're a little indie developer, you know? Like, they do have some resources to put up a fight, I guess is how you could say. So they're trying to say, hey, you know, you've been discontent as an Apple developer maybe uh, for a while, but you're too afraid to say something because you, you don't want to get retaliated against. Well, we don't mind. And in fact, we're going to provoke Apple. And, you know, other companies have been suing uh, Apple over antitrust stuff. Spotify, for one, over with the EU, so yada, yada, yada. And Apple comes back and, and they're like, hey, we treat everybody the same, which is, you know, mostly probably true. But there are special exceptions. It sounds like I don't know a lot about it. I don't know enough about it. Now, this is all very interesting. Um, 
app developers in general, of course, would like to make more money, which means Apple potentially taking less money, you know, that like people like to call it the Apple tax. And who doesn't like to make more money, right? If there was an easy way to make more money, like that's what everybody would like to do, right? Of course, Apple doesn't want to give up any money. Services is, you know, and, and fees like this, it's a huge part of their business now. Apple cares a lot less about how many iPhones get sold in this coming cycle than they do about expanding their services and bundles and the digital side of the business because that's where the future really seems to lie for Apple. And a lot of people have said, well, Apple's turning into the new IBM where they're just milking the money machine, you know, instead of innovating, which I'm not saying, uh, you know, let's see what's coming down the pipeline. Apple glasses could drop and everyone's going to be like, wow, those are amazing. I'm getting to how this fits into consumers in just a minute. So bear with me here. This is just a long, complicated thing. Now, back in the day, uh, the App Store was created as a way to bring extra value to the iPhone and to Apple's platforms. When the iPhone debuted, it can make calls and it can surf the web and that was all good, but you know, in order to help it do more, you needed to get third-party developers on board making apps. And now you fast forward several years and there's so many apps, it's like ridiculous. It's hard to know about them all or to care about them all, which by the way, applehype.com will let you know about which ones you should actually care about. That's personally curated by me. Here's an interesting quote, though. This is from Steve Jobs, I think, back in the day. He said, it costs money to run it, talking about the App Store. And he was actually talking to the Wall Street Journal. This is an interview back in 2008. Those free apps cost money to store and to deliver wirelessly. The paid apps cost money, too. They have to pay for some of the free apps. In other words, he's saying that some of those uh, premium apps, the ones that you have to pay for, those were subsidizing some of the free apps, which everyone liked to enjoy for free. He said, we don't expect this to be a big profit generator. That was very wrong or dishonest if he didn't know, but in either case, that didn't turn out to be the case. We do expect it to add value to the iPhone. We'll sell more iPhones because of it. So that was the initial outlay with the App Store from Steve Jobs a long time ago. And that was true. It, you know, Having a bunch of apps, that is a huge value add, or especially was back then kind of more of a walled garden. Uh, a lot of Android apps have caught up, but still, when I switch over to the Pixel, I just talked about how Google sent me the new Pixel. There's certain apps that I love and rely on in the iOS ecosystem that just aren't available, like Drafts. Drafts is one of my go-to apps. And that there's, I found a Drafts app, but it's not the Drafts app that I need or want over here in Google. So, you know, apps do matter. So uh, as we sit here and speak, or as you listen, I speak, um, it's a $519 billion developer ecosystem that Apple's put together now. So it's a cash cow. It makes a lot of money and people are, understandably, I guess, wanting a piece of the pie. Or I guess some developers feel like they want more of their piece back, maybe. Now, Apple's 30% cut, that's something that they've been taking for over a decade, like 10 years. This is a, a well-established policy. So here is, we're circling back to what, you know, started this whole firestorm. Fortnite, they shoot out this update, which Apple doesn't look at, doesn't have to look at, because that's the relationship that they had which implements what uh, Epic basically positioned as a permanent discount. It's like a 20% effective discount on V-Bucks, the in-game currency. And what they were saying was, hey, look how much cheaper if there's no Apple tax, if Apple doesn't take their cut, we're gonna pass those savings on to you. And by the way, once again, they did the same thing on the Google Play Store. So Apple and Google, they both maintain, they both say that they have to take that cut in order to keep the app store working. 
And for them, they're saying it's down to security and it's down to simplicity because it is nice to just hit one button, launch an app store, and there's all the apps. And it's vetted. You know, you know you're not hopefully going to be downloading something with malware. Uh, you know, there is a convenience there. There is something to what Apple's saying to just have everything all in that one app store. Now, here we're really getting into how it affects consumers. Let's talk about Audible. Audible has tried to bypass Apple's 30% cut over the years, and they have. I'm an Audible user. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks at two times speed. It's how I cram a bunch of knowledge into my head. And what they've done, though, is there is an Audible app on my iPhone, but I can't make any purchases there. I have to get kicked out when I want to look at the actual store over to Safari, to the web browser, and then from Audible's website, you know, which Amazon controls, then I can make a purchase there and then kick back over to the actual Audible app to download it and listen to it. It's doable, but it's not great. It's not a good customer experience. I don't like it. So as a consumer, again, I don't care about which big company is making more or less dollars. Just as a consumer, I want convenience and I want my stuff to work how I would expect it to work. And who's at fault? I don't care. So when people start implementing those kinds of workarounds, that's really annoying. And it feels like a system that's broken, right? It's not, we all know, it's not the way that it should be. And you can say, well, why does Amazon do that? They're huge. They make billions and billions and billions of dollars. You know, is it really necessary for them to save a little bit? And I don't know what the customer base is and what the actual dollars equal, you know, by them saving money by not paying the quote unquote Apple tax, but they don't have to do that. Now, the big argument from the other side is, well, look, this is Apple's platform and they can do whatever they want to. It's like, um, should Burger King be able to sell the Whopper in McDonald's? No, that's not their store. It's not their platform. Should Apple, which owns Greyhound, it's an Apple exclusive for Apple TV plus. Should they be able to show that in Netflix or Amazon prime? Well, those aren't their platforms. If you're the platform owner and developer and maintainer, does it make sense for you to be able to have some rules or maybe break those rules as you see fit? Well, probably slash maybe it gets, it gets, there is a gray area when you start talking about antitrust monopolies and then competition and what is best for the consumer. It all has to be balanced. Like the, my platform and you don't have to be here, but if you are gonna be here, play by my rules, versus, well, what about competition? There's a real balance there, and I'm glad I don't have to figure it out, but as a consumer, it is gonna end up affecting how good of an experience I have. So anyways, Fortnite makes the update, they get banned, they expect to get banned, they want to get banned, I think. It's not like, oh, we're gonna get banned? Oh, shoot, what should we do? We should make a video that mocks one of Apple's iconic, no, 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 that was all ready to go <laughs> the second they were banned, right, to be released. It was all very highly coordinated. And of course, I'll just point out again, though, Epic didn't make uh, the same kind of a video mocking Google for their App Store policies. Google takes a cut, too. And interestingly, you can still sideload, which is go around the App Store, or the Play Store, I should say, on Google. You can still sideload Fortnite over there on the Google side of things if you wanted to which you can't do over on the Apple side. And by the way, I should also point out, Fortnite knew they weren't gonna make too many people too angry because if they angered the fans, 
then, you know, people don't care like whose fault it is. They just want what they want. So, but they're not going to anger too many people. I think they suspect because all that's blocked right now is getting updates. Now, when the new Fortnite season comes out, if people can't get it, that there could be some backlash from that. But right now, if you have Fortnite installed on your iOS device, then you can still play. You just can't get the updates. Now, what's interesting is that this isn't the first time Fortnite has done this. It doesn't appear. Do you guys remember that whole PlayStation, uh, Xbox, multi-platform controversy that was stirred up a few years ago? Well, Epic Games was right in the middle of that too. So what happened was, uh, people wanted to play a game cross-platform. So Xbox players wanted to be able to play against PlayStation players and vice versa. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. I like that idea myself. This is in 2017, I believe. Well, mysteriously, not long after, there was a mysterious configuration issue or bug, which all of a sudden allowed Xbox players to play PlayStation players. Whoops. Well, was it really a glitch? Hmm, probably not. But at the end of the day, it made players say, what's wrong with you, Sony? We really want this. And it positioned Sony uh, as the bad guy. Kind of like, very much like, actually, what uh, Epic Games is trying to do with Apple right now. Which is kind of interesting. You know, don't bite the hand that feeds you, that whole phrase. Would Fortnite be what it is today? How much money would they have be leaving on the table if they had no iOS players? whether that was from iPhones, whether that was from, you know, very to a small extent, the Macs, but, you know, iPad players, that would be a big chunk of their install base gone, you know? So would they even be the company they are today to be in the position to have all this money to be fighting Apple uh, and calling Apple out and saying Apple is bad without all those players from Apple's devices, you know? They grew on Apple's platform and now they're mad at the platform. You know, we should probably point out it's not just uh hey the email app it's not just epic games with fortnite microsoft was calling out apple recently because of you know apple blocking the xcloud stream streaming gaming platform also facebook was mad because one of their apps which i really don't care about at all um was blocked you know i had many games inside of it uh, and that was blocked too so a lot of big companies are starting to uh publicly express discontent in in major ways but it's just that epic games is the most blatant about it and you know in a way that we haven't seen before and what they say is this is the ceo of epic games he says we're fighting for open platforms and policy changes equally benefiting all developers so he's saying hey all you other indie developers we're your champions so i don't know at the end of the day what are my feelings on it do i actually care well you know I'm not a huge gamer. I don't actually professionally play Fortnite and make money from it like I do professionally, you know, make videos here. And we could have this whole conversation about YouTube and platforms um, and, you know, like the revenue that they take from my AdSense, you know. So as a concept, I can speak about that. I enjoy Fortnite and I enjoy it on my Apple games, but I can live without it. And I do sometimes. I told you already. Sometimes I install it. Sometimes I uninstall it. It depends if I want to play it or not. And I don't want to play it all the time. But it's nice to have the option. At the end of the day, it feels like Epic chose to get booted from the App Store. They very clearly provoked Apple into banning them. And they had this whole plan in place. And so, you know, they could play by Apple's rules. It's Apple's platform. 
and they could come back into compliance at any time. It's completely up to them. But at the end of the day, if I'm a Fortnite player and I'm missing out on the next season because of this, well, who's really to blame? Epic forced Apple to kick them out of the App Store right now. It was Epic's thing. I mean, could they just do something that is like what Audible's doing? And maybe they have in the past where you have to kick out and go buy your V-Bucks somewhere else online and then come back into the app. I mean, there is a technical way around it that other companies have been doing if they really, really wanted to without going to this extent. So, you know, I don't have Fortnite on my iPad mini because I took it off, I think. I think I'm back to having it off. So I don't think I can go back and, and get it right now to play if I want. And that's annoying. And that wasn't Apple's doing. I want to give you guys a little tip here. It has to do with playing 4K YouTube content on your iPhone or on your iPad. Now, that's something that you haven't been able to do for a long time. And you haven't even been able to play 4K content in Safari on your Mac. And you haven't actually even been able to play 4K YouTube content on your Apple TV, even if you had a 4K Apple TV which has been available for what, like three years at this point? Now, a lot of people probably didn't effectively know or care. I'm guessing a huge chunk of the population. They're like 1080p, it looks pretty good on my iPhone screen or on my Apple TV because my TV upscaled it anyways or whatever. You know, a lot of people just don't care. But there's a lot of people that do care. And I, I mean, I care. I, I definitely want to see content in 4K on all my stuff. And YouTube is like the place where I watch the most video content. So I definitely want to see 4K video on my iPhone. And as a content creator that often creates content in 4K, then I would like people to be able to experience it in its crispiest, most detailed version. I should point out, and you may already know this, but if you're you know, using a different browser on your Mac, like Chrome, then you can and have been able to watch 4K YouTube videos, just not in Safari. So with iOS 14 and iPadOS 14, now you're gonna be able to watch 4K content on your Apple mobile devices. And it's really simple. You change the quality like you've always been able to do, it's just that 4K is now gonna be an option. So start watching the video that you're gonna be watching, then click on the more dots, which are the three dots, or the icon with three dots, and then tap on quality. And then, and you have to have iOS or iPadOS 14 installed, then you should see the 4K option. In other words, the 2160p version. Now here's the interesting thing. And this could be a little bit frustrating. Not every mobile device is going to be able to get this update. So the iPhone 10, for instance, it doesn't look like, and the, the, this is just in the beta, right? We're talking about the future right now because this hasn't officially launched iOS 14. But in the beta, iPhone 10s are not able to see 4K options on YouTube, which is interesting. All right, so what about on the Apple TV? And I can't believe that up until this point, we haven't been able to watch 4K YouTube videos through the Apple TV. That's ridiculous at this point. And I'm not gonna get into why that's been the case in this video. If you really are interested, go check out Rene Ritchie's channel because he has a great breakdown of all the reasons and the whys and what's changed. But it's very similar on the Apple TV. So go in, select the video that you wanna play. And once that video is playing, tap on the touchpad and then select that three dot more icon just like on, on the mobile version. Then choose quality and choose 4K, 2160p, and you're good. When this all hits, uh, tvOS 14, iPadOS, iOS 14, you're just gonna be able to natively play 4K videos on all your devices. But 
If you wanna get 4K content playing on your Apple TV ahead of time, and you have the beta installed right now, what you could do is just airplay that 4K content over to your TV. So start playing your video, go to airplay, tap on airplay devices, and connect to your TV. And alternatively, you could just do a screen mirroring, which would work as well. So there you go, there's a nice little tip for you. You can now enjoy crispy 4K content, including daily tech content. Make sure if you're just watching the clip of this podcast to go check out our main channel, which is youtube.com slash daily tech, spelled daily T-E-K-K, in 4K. You're welcome. All right, let's talk about keyboards, for the iPad Pro specifically. If you know me at all, and you've been following my content, you know I love the Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro. It's my favorite iPad typing experience. It's really one of my favorite typing experiences, period. You can see some of my uh, Mac setup videos where I'm running Sidecar on my iPad. I've got the 49-inch ultra-wide um, setup with my Mac, but the keyboard that I'm using is my Magic Keyboard for my iPad Pro to control my Mac OS setup via Sidecar. So Logitech came out with the new Folio Touch, which is an, a Magic Keyboard competitor, an alternative that's much cheaper, I'm gonna talk about the price in a sec, that still has a trackpad built in, which is pretty cool. All right, so Apple's Magic Keyboard, and this is for the 12.9 inch, but it starts at $300. The Folio Touch, on the other hand, starts at $160. That's a pretty steep discount, almost half off. Now, I've ranted and raved about the Magic Keyboard. I highly recommend it. If you have the money to spend, absolutely buy it, is my recommendation. Ever since I put it on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro, it's never come off. I absolutely love it. On the other hand, if you have an iPad Pro, you want a built-in mouse interface, but you just want to save some money, then absolutely the Folio Touch is a great alternative. One of the best things is the infinite viewing angles. Look at this. If you're watching this clip instead of just listening to the podcast, look at all the angles. It's not quite infinite viewing angles. Can't lay it down flat, but wow, a lot of angles. Definitely surpasses the 130 degree viewing angle, max viewing angle of the Magic Keyboard. One thing about the Folio Touch is that it's much more protective than the Magic Keyboard. It fully encases your iPad Pro. So if you're gonna you know, do a lot of traveling, if you're a student and you're worried about protecting your investment, your iPad Pro, then this actually does have a few advantages. We mentioned the viewing angles, but, but better protection. That's a big advantage for this cheaper Folio Touch. Now the trade-off there is bulk, obviously. Now, if you're watching me right now, I'm showing you you know, two separate sized iPads. One is the 11 inch, that's what the Folio Touch is on, and then the Magic Keyboard here is on the 12.9 inch. But still, you know, you can get a feel like they're, either of them aren't super slim. The Magic Keyboard is very, very heavy. This one is slightly less heavy, but it's still, it's not like light as a feather. Another big advantage here of the Folio Touch though is that you can fold the cover all the way back and actually use it in tablet mode with the Apple Pencil, which is something that you can't do with the Magic Keyboard. And that's basically my one biggest gripe with the Magic Keyboard is that I can't just flip it around, fold it flat, and start drawing or writing on the Magic Keyboard. So here you can do that with the Folio, and that's pretty nice. And also, it has an extra flap that folds down over your Apple Pencil, which is just gonna secure it in place. Because sometimes, even with the Magic Keyboard, when I move it around, even around the house, um, that Apple Pencil does tend to fly off, and luckily it hasn't gotten lost yet. I mean, it doesn't fly off like a rocket, but I have found it on the floor next to my iPad before several times. I mean, like three or four times this last week um, from just setting it down, you know, at the side of the bed or or whatever, 
So if you want to make sure that you're not going to lose it when you stash it in your backpack or something, then again, this has an actual advantage, even though it's cheaper. Of course, with the Magic Keyboard, you get a really sturdy hinge, solid, absolutely rock solid. And there's no denying that this floaty design is just amazing. It really feels like a sculpture sitting on your desk. I love it. And I've said it before, when you're looking at it straight on, you don't really notice the floatiness of it. But from the side, it's just incredible. It's really a great visual upgrade to your setup. But the Folio Touch has another really big advantage, and that is this row of function keys across the top. So if you want to adjust the contrast, if you want to search, if you want to control your media and the volume, which is huge without having to go to the control center, uh, that's very nice and convenient. And that's definitely not something that you're going to get on the Magic Keyboard. That row of function keys is just non-existent. The, the Magic Keyboard has a much better trackpad because it's clickable in all areas. On the Folio Touch, you can only click on the bottom. Up in the top, that's not actually clickable, which is really annoying unless you go into the settings and turn on tap to click, which means that you just be able to tap anywhere on the entire surface of that trackpad and it will actually work. So that is a workaround, it does fix it, but if you want the physical click, uh, when you actually press into the trackpad area, then you definitely want to go with the Magic Keyboard. And I gotta say, it's a satisfying click. Let me see if I can get up to the mic for you. Yeah, it sounds good, it's fun to click. Um, and I actually turn on tap to click anyways. I've got that enabled on my MacBook Pro. I've got it enabled on the iPad Pro with the Magic Keyboard. So, you know, it's not a big deal, but technically it is better on the Magic Keyboard. Both trackpads though, I should mention, do have the same functionality. So all the same keyboard gestures, multi-touch gestures are gonna work with whatever option that you get. Uh, backlighting, that's important. Both keyboards have it. And I should also mention battery at the same time. They both drain about equally or at the same uh, pace, I would say. You know, that's the trade-off. With a backlight, it's gonna use more battery, but I just don't care. I have to have a backlight. I type when it's you know early morning or late at night too often to not have a backlight with me. That's one thing that drives me nuts about Apple's you know professionally priced and marketed Magic Keyboard for the Max. There's no backlight. I can't believe it. One huge advantage that the Magic Keyboard has is that it has this extra USB-C port over here, which is just passive. It's just for charging, but it makes a huge difference. So it frees up this port over here, the actual port on your iPad, to use peripherals. If you wanna plug in an external drive and use the files on there or edit video right off of there, you know, it makes a difference to be able to have that and then be able to also charge at the same time over here. And I like the way that charging works here because if I have this on my desk and I plug in a cable to it, then that runs straight back and I don't have an ugly cord sticking out the side. You know, so visually it looks better too. You just don't get that with the Folio Touch. You have one port, it's the USB-C port on your iPad, and that's just all that's available. You know, so you can use a hub or something, but it's just not the same. Now, when it comes to typing experience, I find that the actual typing experience on the Magic Keyboard is night and day different and better. You probably expected that because I just told you at the beginning of this video or this clip how much I love the typing experience. I love it. And so what I will say about the Folio Touch is that it's usable. It's it's a usable experience. It's nice. If you had never tried the Magic Keyboard, you might be like, yeah, this is great. This is cool. And it is. Um, you can use it. You could type on here all day. It would be comfortable. It's just less satisfying 
than typing on the Magic Keyboard. So if you're really into writing and you have the budget, you know, if you're like an author or something or a blogger, it may be worth upgrading for. If you're a student or something and you're on a budget, don't worry about it. Like you'll enjoy the keyboard here just fine and it'll be very usable and functional. But where these are very similar in some instances and where the, the Foley Touch actually comes out ahead in some instances, the typing experience is not on the same level as the Magic Keyboard, not even close. Like I saw one review that was like, oh, it's just barely better on the Magic Keyboard. Don't listen to those kind of people. It's so much better, the typing experience on the Magic Keyboard. What is one other downside of the Folio Touch? Well, it's that it's only available for the 11 inch. I don't know why they did that. I don't know if a version for the 12.9 inch iPad Pro is coming in the future, no idea. But right now you can only get it for the 11 inch. Maybe they are saying like, hey, uh, I don't know. They, they developed this keyboard, I think, in conjunction with Apple. And I don't know if Apple's carving out the top end of the market you know, and they just figure if you're going to spend the money, the extra money for that bigger screen, which there are reasons to do, I could get into a whole different video there, but I'll veer off topic, you know, then maybe those kind of people are just going to spend the 300 bucks for, for the nicest keyboard experience there is anyways. I don't know. And if you're trying to save some money, if you're a student or something, then this will be good enough. I have no idea, but you can't get the Folio Touch for the 12.9 inch. So there you have it. Which one should you buy? It doesn't really matter. It just comes down to price. If you want to save some money, you will be very happy with the Folio Touch and you'll actually get some perks and some benefits that you won't find with the Magic Keyboard. But for my money, I'm sticking with the Magic Keyboard because it just feels more premium. And I do do a lot of typing and I do like the trackpad better, even if you can just turn on touch to click, tap to click, whatever. All right, so that's it for this version of the podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We did some deeper dives and kind of went deeper instead of broader for a few different topics. So hopefully you liked it. Uh, let me know. Give me some feedback. Uh, I'm at Daily Tech Spell Daily, T-E-K-K on Twitter. That's a great place to give me some feedback. Or you can hit the website up and fill out the online form there. Uh, but yeah, uh, hopefully the audio quality was good. If you want to see the clips versions and you're just listening to this in your car or something, you can do that. I'll link that up down in the description where you can hit the clips channel. Otherwise, I'll catch you guys in the next video or podcast or on social media. I'm basically at Daily Tech everywhere. But I'll catch you in the next one. Later. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. When you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. When you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Since all 12 are giving you the heat, the reviews from Chris you gotta see. Daily Tech got the facts that you need, and it's the whole crew you gotta meet. After party, it's the place you gotta be, and you can't really beat it cause it's free. Trying to give you unbiased critiques, quality you should take it from me. Cause we care about our customers, pull up a seat, got a whole team, giving you the best and do it by any means. Brand new Mac and know it's looking clean. It's the after party, live from the mommies. Wanna cop some, shouldn't be a doubt about it. Looking for great reviews, then you found it. Connecting with the fans, hope you get a lot out of it. Yo. Welcome to the other party, out of vibe. When you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Welcome to the other party, out of vibe. Where you know we getting lit and come
and we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah.